G'day, and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark, and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start, but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away, or even plan to hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos, along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, Ian. How are you two this evening? Mate, I'm really well. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. I think Ian looks freezing. I think that's the common the common theme this time of the year, isn't it, Ian? Warmba, man. It's cold. It's real cold. And I've had the aircon on and well, aircon heat pump, what they call it. Anyway, it's cold. It's all good. Dry, Love it. dry a door open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just back the car up, open the doors. Yeah, yeah that's it. No, it's, uh, it's a good time of year. Dryer, it's better than summer up here, I tell you. Open the dryer, put a screwdriver in, and turn it on. <laughs> now, what do they say? You, um, you, uh, you wheel granddad in in his wheelchair and get him to suck a peppermint. Everyone can sit around. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I've not heard that one either, mate. That's a good one. No, I didn't, I didn't mind it. Anyway. I tell you, when we were in Nundle, there was one night, the first night, it was so cold. The fire was like, you know, like it was a light show. <laughs> I literally had my feet in it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's so bad that my very nice gloves that I've had for a number of years, um, I I cooked them. Oh, really? And oh, yeah. and they had, um, they're, they're quite, you know, specialist gloves. I bought a new pair. And, you know, they had, the, you could operate the iPad, iPhone with the gloves on. Lost, oh, that yeah. Yeah. lost that ability. Lost that ability. The rubber's oh, just and, all melted. Yeah, and over the over the, the five days, they just started to split. So the last day, like you, you could see my hand. Yeah, well, on the on the opposite side of that, you know, the the lower boots, very well known for for being able to be used in cold weather. Um, you know, the insulation properties of the soles and things like that are really good. Well, I can mm. attest to that on the opposite side of that too, because. I didn't know the sole had melted off the bottom of mine um, oh. as I had my feet up near the fire. and um, But I was able to get a, a, a spoon, a spork spoon, and um, sort of smooth the rubber back out over the oh, holes okay. that I'd created. So they, they maintain, um, you know, their waterproofness, which I think is quite impressive. That is very impressive. Yeah. The grip's not as good. Mm. Mate, Tim did that at Nunder one year, but 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 melted the glue, so you know, <laughs> oh. separated. Yep. Anyway, hey, it's good to talk about fire and burning stuff. Yeah, so that's it. So tonight we're going to talk about gear, I suppose. Yeah, why not? I mean, we've got all lots and bits. No, no, no gear in particular, but all lots of pieces of gear um, across the across the range. Um, I suppose the best one to kick off, actually, best one to kick off let's, is Zolio or the Zolio satellite communicator. Look at that. So that's it. Three. See, we all got them. That's it. Now, uh, it, you know, uh, what do they say? Um, full disclosure, we are now Zolio ambassadors. We are. I'm pretty sure we are. We haven't, we're not on the website yet, yet. Whilst, you, well, whilst recording, but hopefully by the time you hear this, we are. 
So we're working with Zolio, which is pretty exciting. Mm. Um, and so we've all got the Zolio units, which allow us not only, obviously, to talk back home and have a, a replacement for the PBL because the Zolio has got the, the SOS. PLB. 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 Before you go uh, into those, locator, so Personal locator you, beacon. There we go. Before you go into uh, all, the all, thing all, all of that, Mark, 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 before you go into all of the, the detail yeah, that's sure. on it, um, it's probably worth noting all of the Zolios that we have, we personally own. These yes. are different and, and from have the done, company. It's and have done yes. for some time. We've done for a while. The, the reason the reason that we um, we started a conversation Someone's with – Yeah, that was me. Sorry. The reason why we struck up a conversation with these guys was because we felt that the kit that they had was excellent mm. and it was mm. worth talking about it more. It wasn't – uh, a company approaching us, wanting us to do some work with them. We were really keen to – we already used it, so it was, it was worth yep. telling the story from our own perspective. Um, mm. Yeah, anyway, I just thought that was worth noting. In fact, I bought mine from Anaconda, and you'll actually see on the Anaconda website my review of it. So, okay. yes, we, we did buy them, mm. but uh, they are a great bit of kit. And um, that other really interesting component is we can talk amongst ourselves. Yes. Oh, it's great. Mm. Yep. That's it. So when we're in locations where we can't get signal, we can at least communicate with ourselves as well as back home. And, and, and people um, would have seen that on the recent slam trip where Ian and I were, mm. were slating each other or bragging about what we had got mm. by earlier when we had no signal. Um, and the great thing about that is if you have mobile signal, mobile data network access, it'll use that. If you don't, mm. it'll automatically fail over to satellite. So you're always in communication no matter what what's going on with the network. So which is great. I mean, we we were slating each other and having lots of fun on that slam trip. It was great. <laughs> really good. Yeah, things I really liked about this. We talked about being able to communicate with each other, but it also sends a GPS location pin. So, you know, if I fire a message off to the to the team that's in the field and say, Hey, I've got a deer down, I need a hand, something like that, mm. it sends the message. It sends the pin location as it's well, coordinates, yeah. uh, and you can route your way to it. So it gives you all of that, um, which is quite nice. Plus, yeah. you can um, check the weather as well, which would have been handy at Nundal yep. and things like that, where you got no mobile signal. Yeah, I did that. I did that. It went back to uh, the base. It runs back to in Nundal was Tamworth mm -hmm. um, with the pin. So if, even if you're just using, so like we had a guy who was coming into camp quite late, so I texted him and. He got the message at Gyra, um, and you know, and it just says drop. It just has a function on your phone, just drop pin. So I just dropped it in, and yep, yeah, he found us. He just came in and, and found the campsite, which is really good. That was really handy, and I did the same with um, Haroom uh, from uh, Khan Aussie Adventures. Is it Khan's Aussie Adventures yeah. or Khan's yeah. Adventures? Khan's, I think. I can't um, shout out to Khan and uh, Haroom. Uh, he joined us in camp at Nundal and brought food with him, which I thought was <laughs> very, very nice of him. And it was food. also very good tucker too. Yeah, he brought in a uh, like a um, uh, he had a mate. I, I think his friend's name was uh, Taj. He was the cook. He brought in uh, venison, uh, like a soy venison stew, and we ate it. For a couple of months, actually, <laughs> except for one mate, my Graham, my mate Graham said, "Oh, too spicy." <laughs> yeah, a bit of a rough night, but the rest of us were gobbling it down. So yeah, so that was uh, that was pretty good. I'll, I'll tell you one thing about uh, our mate 
from uh, Khan's Adventures. He Khan on the way camp, Adventures they, Down Under. There we there go. It is. On the way to camp, they actually passed a driver who just literally had hit a pig. It was about a 60k sow. It's right on the side of the road. And about three days later, we saw a quoll eating it or eating, chewing on it. Anyway, he goes, oh, someone literally, and they said, look, it took a photo. It's just like right happened. And he said, it's like 300 metres from camp. And we went, really? We, you know, I would have thought we'd have heard this thing, but no, we didn't. So anyway, he goes, we go, well, let's go look at this pig. And we go to walk and he goes, oh, no, you can't walk this too far. And so he drives. It's 2K away. <laughs> So I said to him, mate, when we pulled up, I said, if you ever ask me to take a 300-meter <laughs> shot, I'm going to refuse, okay? Yeah, distance. Uh, distance. <laughs> That's it. it was literally, it was two of those the you know, yellow yeah. markers away. <laughs> mate, I'm not taking that 300-meter <laughs> shot. Oh. Mm. So, yeah, so that was a great little bit. So uh, next bit of kit. Another one before Mick. you move. Okay. Before you move. Also, um. A lot of you would have seen um, the post from Jason at Liquid Antler. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you, if you watched his Instagram post where he's talking about um, uh, having received a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, I haven't seen that. Seen that. No. It's, ro- it's rocked his world uh, completely, but he's he's taken a good positive attitude about it and he's uh, he's, he's obviously not going to let him let it get him down. just requires a bit more planning and some more gear in the bag as I was chatting to him about the other day. Um, but it made me think again, um, using the opportunity of, uh, of that to talk about Zolio, which is a bit weird. Uh, but they have this feature that's come on um, uh, recently where you can get medical resupply or medical assist. Mm. Now, a lot of these devices have the same features. You go and have a look at um, uh, the inreaches and things like that. You know, they're giving you location, they're giving you weather, they're giving you those sorts of things. But these guys have gone a little bit step further with that medical assist, mm. whereas if you have a problem when you're in the field, without having to hit the SOS button and call in emergency services, you can via text on this thing get someone back at the SOS office, wherever it goes to, their emergency contact centre, answer questions about the condition or the issue that you're having, mm. which I think is an excellent That's um, fantastic. feature that they've got. Mm. Yeah, and the medical resupply thing, um, you know, um, this is what I was thinking about when I was talking to Jason. You know, if you're, if you're in a drama and, you've, you know, you've got a, a diabetes or a thyroid problem or something like that and something goes wrong with your medication, you can get a medic resupply. Now, I don't know what this is going to cost you. Mm. Uh, I'm sure it's not going to be a free service, but, it's better than you know, being, better, um, better than being you're in dead. pretty crazy situations. <laughs> and you yeah, that's that. right. Yeah. We're, 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 so well, it's not like... It's not like I need a Band-Aid yeah. to send, send a chopper, yeah. but, yeah. Type one, you know. type, well, we were, type 1 diabetes and insulin, you, you know, you're probably going to need that. Yeah, it's now. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. death. I, was, um, I was on a trip in the Alps in New Zealand with a group, and one of the guys that was with us forgot his thyroid medication, and oh. that would have put him in a very bad situation over a couple of days, and we were there for a week. It just turned out that one of our other guys had exactly the same medication for the exact same issue the same dosage, the same everything, so they were able to share it. He had enough. Right. What are the chances? Which is just weird because what are, what, what are the chances? Yeah. I, I haven't met anyone that needed that medication to start with, let alone two on one trip. Mm. But I just think that what you can build into these sorts of devices when they're connected to an app, you know, which mm. has a whole bunch of smarts that you carry around on your phone, 
I think are super impressive. So Absolutely. watch out. You'll see more of this. There's, um, there's lots yeah. of good stuff that we can do with it. And, um, yeah, well, you know, it, what you're making me think more about it too, what you said. I mean, and one of the one of the things that I found on this trip is that I used Avenza maps for the first time. Yeah. So I didn't have to take the personal locator beacon, which is getting close to its end of life, which is one of the reasons I went for the Zolo in the first place. And I didn't have to take a GPS. I did take a GPS. I didn't use it. I, I had one in camp in case we needed one, in case someone else's ones failed. It was loaded up with the maps and all that mm. stuff. Um, but, yeah, with the um, – and, you know, I one of the GPS units I have is a Rhino, so you can communicate. But if you've got these kind of things, you don't need the GPS because you could use a Venza. You don't need a, a personal locator beacon because it's built in. Got yeah. it. You don't need a radio because you can text. So it's actually, you know, in the world of electronics, it's actually doing what it's supposed to do is minimizing. You know, mm. it's, it's actually getting stuff more and more. And I found the events at this time was really, really good. Um, you know, especially, with, and I made sure everyone had it. So things like dropping pins and all that kind of stuff really worked really well. So yeah, I was quite impressed. And, the um, marsupial gear chest rig I run, the pouch that they made for the Rhino 750 is exactly the right size for that phone. So I just mm-hmm. put it in the pouch there because I, I was worried that I was going to break because I do have a habit of breaking them. <laughs> it was right. It was, but I was, it was there secure. It was right there. It was actually mm-hmm. the best place for it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't carry a GPS. I use Avenza for mm. public land. Even some of the private blocks that I've got, we share just an Avenza map with the overlays. Yeah. You can drop pins. You can keep those to yourself. You can share the base map. You can share pins. You can do everything. I think it's a, I think it's a great tool. Plus, the fact that yeah. you can then send messages straight from one device means you're not carrying multiple. You don't have to really. I mean, I do carry a radio with me. I do have a two-way which I keep in my pack just in case. Um, but most of the communication I do will be via Zolio. Yeah, and that and yeah. and and then and all what I also realise is that I don't have to have as much charging going on. Hmm. Yeah, because I'm running multiple yeah. devices. But then you know, you've, you've got to, and you know, the, the there'll be people out there that say, yeah, but your phone will go flat, and you know, this thing needs charging via USB C, and you're going to be using it more because um, you know you're going to be checking it for maps and those sorts of things. So there's there's trade-offs because obviously if you mm. take your you take your Garmin into the field, how long how long do you get out of the Rhino if you've just got it on in your pack? Do you need to charge it during the week while you're hunting? If I well, I took so it's five days, and since I took the Rhino, I took I don't I, I've got the charge unit, but I expected that I would have to charge it, and I and I literally charge I would put the phone on charge overnight to do it anyway. Um, mm. And yep. so, because the trucks, my my dual battery is a full time full time battery. So, because it runs a fridge, so it it's not you know it's not it's it's separate. It's obviously in the vehicle, but it's separate from the vehicle in terms of power supply. It runs full time, um, and it runs a fridge. And so, this is just running next to the fridge. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm. I'm certainly setting up. I'm, I'm set up for charging because, you know, I want to charge GoPros. I want to charge other mm. camera batteries. That's it. You know, That's what we're it's pretty for. battery hungry with the type of work that we're doing when we're in the field. Mm. So 
I'm okay with that. But, you know, I often see the conversation online when people are talking about Garmin versus Avenza and people are like, well, yeah, but, you know, if your battery goes flat, your stuff, you know, your, your battery and your Garmin lasts a lot longer. Now, for me, I don't find that to be necessarily no, true. No. I, I, I run my Garmin um, in my no. pack. Uh, well, I have the Garmin in my pack because my dog has a GPS collar mm. and legally I have to have a GPS yeah. trackable device on the dog. But I don't turn it on. I turn the collar on. Um, so she's running around with the collar turned on, but I don't have the GPS turned on. Mm-hmm. I only turn yeah. that on if I would ever need it, and I've never needed to track her down because she's trained that way. Um, so it goes in my pack. But if I do have it on, I need to charge that at the end of the day pretty much mm. anyway. So, But that goes in. My phone um, with a Venza, if you put it in flight mode. It lost ages. Because um, a lot of people don't understand that you put your phone in flight mode uh, Avenza doesn't need cellular coverage. No. Uh, connect to satellite and that functions just perfectly in flight mode. Mm. So you get a couple of days out of your phone at, you know, yeah. you're in flight mode. Mm. I, I, um, I, I never got low on – so, we, you know, we would hunt from, you know, we'd be in the field for all for the day and I never got low in the day. And I was actually using it a lot because I had my son with me and we were actually – and there was a couple of times we actually did some – off-track navigation, and I was really kind of showing him about, you know, okay, we've got a junction, let's drop a pin here and say junction. So we were using it a lot at one stage, and it never got low on power. And mm. I've got the, um, you know, in the, I've got the uh, little power pack mm. too, which um, was in, that power pack was enough to, Charge an iPad from flat to 100. percent Yeah, yeah, and that that so that's like a super battery. Yeah, you know they'd probably do a couple of charges on the phone. Mm. And the reason I know that was because my son in the tent at night was watching. You know, but I mean, and you you, Sharknado or something on on the iPad, and he was he was he was literally he'd run it flat, Mm. and then we. Charge it with the with the battery charger. But I mean, with the, yeah, well, you know, I the use, power pack thing. I use that as a battery charger. Yeah, yeah. I got something similar. And um, uh? I've got something similar. And I mean, I was going to say yeah. when we went to the territory last year, I took my Zolio. I think Ian, you took yours as well. I didn't have to charge it the whole week we were yeah. in the territory, and we were sending messages. Mark, you were sending messages mm. to your family. Mm. We were using it. Yes, I had to charge my phone. Mm. I didn't have a Venza on my phone, but we were using it for messaging, etc take a power pack mm. i had a, a little solar panel that i charged my phone with yeah. every day there's enough sunshine up there and but the zolio didn't need charging and i think what's good about the zolio is that in an emergency situation you don't have to use your phone it's got an sos button on it so that's it's right. great for sending messages but from the zolio itself you can send a check-in message there's a little tick box little tick button you push that it's going to send a message back to your family that says yeah. i'm okay this is where i am so even if your phone mm-hmm. does die you still have the ability to communicate or to send an SOS if you need it. So mm, they've, they've yeah. built that into it. So, yes, it's great oh, to send messages, but yeah. it's just such a good system. Our little trick, um, and, you know, with all of these things, you, you you set them up to suit yourselves. The way that Jono's talking is is the typical way that you would set a device like this up so you can send a message back to your, your family and say you're okay. Um, if we're hunting in a group, you go and you put the check-in message to your group of people, yeah. and that's what Mark and I have done. Haven't yet got round to talking to Jono about it, but um, with with these guys as my check-in message receivers, they get an email and a message 
to say that this is yeah. where I am. So if you're in the field, mm. we can all keep in contact with you know locations and those sorts of things. Um, yeah, I, I just think they're they're a fantastic yeah. tool. And what um, I found uh, strange enough, just like the phone fit into the marsupial gear rhino um, pouch. Because I'm now running LRF binos, I don't carry a rangefinder anymore because they're in the binos. So I've mm. still got the little marsupial gear rangefinder pouch, and this fits perfectly into mm. that pouch. So I've got, and what I like about that is the, you know, my personal locator beacon is there, mm. and it's not yeah. in a pack. It's there. Mm. It's on my chest. So, you know, it and it's in a secure location. So it, it worked really, really well. So they did, they, you know, they, it was within range. So the Bluetooth stayed connected. So it never disconnected. And I know it did because, you know, sometimes you'd walk away with the phone doing something and you go, it, you, go you know, disconnect hmm. out of range. So yep. yeah, I was actually really impressed with the connectivity of that and how I was able to limit what kind of gear I was taking. Yeah, the other thing to, to note too, if you are using a Venza and you're using your phone, um, putting it in flight mode is important for, for more than one reason. One, it's just got to save your battery. But two, if you have yours not in flight mode, you will use a, a lot of battery seeking for suit. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It uses yeah. way more battery than normal. If you ever wondered why you're losing power, it's because you're out of range and it's just hunting right. all the time. And, and, it's, so and it it's spending it all its energy trying yeah. to get you back in range. Mm. That's right, yeah. Definitely. Before we move on from that, um, the other thing that we were talking about, um, you know, when you hit that SOS button and you're calling in emergency services, um, the emergency team can see, based on the connectivity of the Zolio and your phone, what the power of your batteries is at any point in time. Mm -hmm. right? So they can see that your iPhone or your Android phone or whatever it is you're using is at 20% battery. So any information they need from you, they need it now. And unlike a normal PLB, like I've got a normal PLB, you hit the button, you pull the arrow up, hit the button, put it out yeah. in the open and hope something happens, which is usually pretty reliable, right? Let's, mm. let's not pretend it's not. Um, but this tells you that you've made a connection and then your emergency services people can talk to you via text. They yeah. can ask you what's going on, how you're feeling. They can keep in contact. You can call them in. Can send them the pin. You can do all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Just, it's just an enhanced version mm. like all technology gets better. This is proof that that's sort of happening. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 100% agree, mate. I was, I'm very impressed with it. And, uh, you know, it's it's doing exactly what I hoped it would do, which was give us that connectivity. But I'm finding that it does a lot more than I expected, which I, I really liked mm -hmm. on that last trip. I mean, I, you it's know, good. like a number of years ago, I used to people say, what happens if you go wrong? And I say, well, if I die in a ditch, just kick some dirt over me. But, you know, that's that was Even then. This, you know, that was then. But now I've got I've got I've got responsibilities yeah. with me. So this has become a, a really really important component of of what yeah, I do want to go out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. The other thing I was going to say, just on your comments about um, stacking up the gear in the marsupial or whatever whatever um, rig you're running, uh, it's funny because when we were doing the slam video, I was like, no, I'm taking the eliminator, so um, I've got a rangefinder. I'm going to leave the rangefinder at home. Uh, and I'm not going to need it. And I was searching for my rangefinder the whole time. I, I like I'm so used to it, and I was like, man, I don't have my rangefinder because almost the entire time I had my rifle on my pack mm, yeah. because Hendo was doing the shooting. And, you know, it was only if I wanted to, you know, something really good came up and I pushed him out of the way and 
took it for myself, um, that I was going to take that rifle off my pack. So I was actually without a rangefinder. So the oh. balance of what gear you do take versus what you don't take, and there's so many interconnected pieces with our hunting trips nowadays, it's mm. yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. The funny thing was, as I was cursing to myself on the third day for not having my rangefinder, I look over and there's Hendo with his rangefinder. <laughs> I didn't even know he had one. <laughs> yeah. But... I had a similar situation when I was with Rowan. We, that one morning when we spotted that 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 mob of fellow, um, and we were unsure of the of the distance. I pulled out the rangefinder, pushed the button, and the batteries were dead. So it, it pays to check the batteries oh. as well. So yeah, yeah make sure make sure they charged. I mean, it might have helped with that shot. Might have not. It was a long shot, but um, he did miss that one. It, it would have. It would have helped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> would have you would have known at what distance he missed. <laughs> True. It was a long shot. Good. Very good. Right. <coughs> What's Anything next? else on Zolio? I, I meant to have a five-minute conversation. I think that's, that's heaps perspective. to come on Zolio. Yeah, heaps and heaps yeah I think we probably Zolio. will have a podcast on Zolio. I think that's probably a, a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Get someone from the company themselves and really answer some tech questions. Actually, one last point on yeah. Zolio for me was the weather is actually very accurate. Um, and Bang on. Eh? It was, I mean, so up in, in Brisbane Valley this year for the Red Deer Raw, um, I was camped right at the bottom in this in this creek bed and i had to come up this big steep hill to get out and i had the camper trailer with me and we had beautiful weather all day every day i checked the weather on the zolio and it said on the last day it was going to rain and i knew if it rained i wouldn't get up that hill with the camper trailer so i actually made plans to pull out a day early um and luckily i i, I got that stag but i um i caught up with one of the guys um a couple of weeks later and I said, you know, did that rain come in, in in the morning of that last day? And he said, yep, it came in. It was it was as hard as you said it was going to be. I think they forecasted 20 or 30 mil. And he said, if you'd had the camper, you wouldn't have got up that hill. So the accuracy of the weather is actually spot on. So you can trust it, mm. which is awesome. Mm. Which balances off about the ink, the, the what's name, the, uh, the inability of your Triton to pull a trailer. Yeah, I didn't have I didn't have a big set of <laughs> muddy tires on it. I was talking to the to the cocky cocky on the way out, and he said to me that if you'd had mud tires on it, you could have got out. But he he told me I made the right decision getting out. So yeah, I was pretty pretty glad I well, did. Day day one of of our slam trip, heading down that hill. Yeah, we were, but both of us were yep. slipping and sliding down that hill. Mm. Well, I I I was <laughs> I was checking something on my phone. And, uh, and I took a glance, and Jono's sideways down the hill. I'm like, oh, it must be slippery down there. I hadn't mm-hmm. felt anything. And the next minute, I'm looking at my phone going mm-hmm. over the edge. <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. Cars by, we were committed. There was no oh, way out of there. There was no way out of that. Well, um, we were doing that track through the middle of um, Hanging Rock. And at the beginning, no, as you said, it's a bit confusing if you're on the, the one just on the inside or the fence line one because they're kind of – and we realised we were on the fence line one, so we had a cut across, and so there was a bit of mud slamming through there. And then it, you know, it, it improved greatly, and it looked like we were because we were we were lifting up a little bit, we were getting some elevation. So, but then it went down into that that really big gully system before it comes out again. And I went down in the the truck, and we were pretty okay. You know, we we're okay, and we just drove through. And there was a little there's a little creek crossing, a bridge crossing, and we made it through there. And um, we got a fair way up, and I looked around, and 
Tim and Graham had stopped and I went, oh, okay. And they were letting down the, the tires, the pressure in the, in the, in the Tim's Hilux. And I went, oh, okay, sure. And they came up and they said, did you see what happened? I said, no, no. They went, shh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what happened to them. Wow. Oh, here we go. That day. Back to no, not this time. So, yeah, so that's why they went. I think I'm letting the pressure down and getting some more traction here. No, that was, so, that was yeah. pretty good. Um, that was pretty good for the viewers. So, for the listeners. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it's true. Uh, for the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah, two of the wheels got off the ground a little bit more, more than they should do. So, yeah, he, they, they, they had a real, they had a, they had a close call. Gave him a good mm. scare. Crazy. Okay, um, next bit of gear. I was going to ask, I was going to talk about a bit, a bit about ammo. Okay. Because uh, I'm at least confident in forward. Talking, twenty, talking about ammo. Uh, I've got one question that came from Harun, actually. Oh, cool. I was talking to him about today. And um, I had another question about my specific rifle setup. I know I've raised this mark with you, but I wanted to talk about it here. Um, And this came from some conflicting comments from the other side of the screen that you're looking at, which is from Jono. Um, You may not even remember them. As I lined up on the 540-metre pig with the 3006 and the Eliminator, Mm -hmm. uh, now, firstly, the Eliminator is brilliant. Um, I've, I've been using a different auto-ranging scope. I've been using the 6-0 for quite some time. I haven't been using the Eliminator, but I've got the Eliminator now and, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, but like everything, you can load multiple different profiles into it. And I was mm-hmm. using an SMB 180-grain um, soft point and then um, I ran out of those rounds, so I switched to the SMB 180-grain soft point cutting edge, so the SBCE round. And uh, you'd think, okay, well, they're both SMB and they're both soft point and they're both 180 grain. They are quite different in what they look like. Mm-hmm. Same grain, same weight, same all of that. Um, but the um, the ballistic coefficient, coefficient details were slightly different, mm-hmm. which meant that the, the cutting edge round, which was more like a, a ballistic tip, I guess you call it, um, uh, had a, a, a sharper drop-off. Now, I forgot to reprogram that into the eliminator before I went on that hunt. So at 100 yards, it was fine. At 200 yards, it was fine. At 540 yards, it was going to drop by about yay much. And when you see the video, it dropped by yay much, mm. just down underneath the head of the pig, which had its head down eating. Um, but the comment from Jono came at the time, long-range shooting with a 3006, you know, is it the right caliber? And it stuck in my head the whole time. I thought, not throw, throw, throwing you in the deep end with this one, John. No, but when no, I no. asked Mark about it, Mark, Mark said, oh, well, it's the original long-range round. Um, you know, um, it should it should do that. No problem. So mm. I guess I wanted to talk about 3006 uh, itself um, because I need to – so I've got two 3006s. I'm lucky enough to have the BRX with the, um, with the Predator 8 on it, and I've got the Lupo with the Eliminator. And I want one for long-range, and I want one for the Bush. Right. Um, obviously, the eliminator is going to be the long range round. Am I using the right caliber for that eliminator or not? 
should I be changing it to something else? I would definitely say you are using a caliber that is suitable for for that. Uh, and the reason I say that is a couple of things. One is the 3006 is capable of doing it and with modern projectiles, modern powder, hammer forged barrels, laser range sighting scope, any kind of deficiency in, in inherent deficiency in that caliber is is basically, you know, wiped away. <laughs> and then that, that, that's even before. And yeah. and you never you can never factor in the shooter. Yeah. So we're talking about we're talking about gear. Okay. So that's so I and in real terms, five hundred and forty meters is a long range, but it's not a long range. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So you know, not a thousand yards. You, you can you can shoot. Well, I used to shoot aperture sight rifles with a three hundred eight to a thousand. Yep. I've done. I've done. In I've done Bisley twelve hundred yards with a three hundred eight aperture sight. Well, Bisley, I did. We didn't say so long range is a thousand. Bisley pushes you out to twelve hundred, yep. and then there's actually ranges that go past mm. that. So yeah. That's so you you and the other thing is to you're not trying to shoot you're not shooting five hundred fly you know you're shooting it and and a fairly reasonable size target yeah mm. sure okay so um what it becomes more the question about is you know the energy delivery at that point rather than because everything you can you can calculate all of that stuff. Okay, it's about the energy hit. What happens at the point of impact? And I, and then I think of of thirty oh six hitting a pig at five hundred. I mean, it's not a shot I would take because I just don't take those kind of shots. But I don't think there was anything wrong with that caliber. And the thing about thirty oh six, it's just an old caliber. Mm-hmm. But you know, well, if you think about what it was designed for, it's tried and tested. It was designed. The thirty oh six was designed to kill men up to a thousand yards. Mm-hmm. Why was it designed to kill men for up to 1,000 years? Because all battle rifles at that stage were designed to kill men in 1,000 years. That was military doctrine. Mm. You know, that's what a 303 does. That's what, you know, and, and you could argue the only rifle that couldn't do that, which was the French rifle, which was basically like a three-shot broomstick. But, you know, your Moors are 98s and all that stuff. And if you think about, if you kind of even kind of jump back a few yards, a few centuries, not centuries, sorry, a few years before that, you go to the Boer War, one of the reasons why the Afrikaans for a period of time were able to successfully hold off the largest empire in the world was because they could shoot men at 800 yards mm. with essentially black powder loads because <laughs> that's what the Moors could do. So, they, you know, yeah. the British had a, a rifle that was, you know, a 500-yard rifle and they used to march up and get 500 yards, but they had to march 300 yards under fire before they could get the 500 yards and shoot. So, yeah. And that, yeah. that was that was a rifle that was older than the 3006. So I don't see anything wrong with yeah. that. Mm. Well, I, I have to say the, the combination's really nice. You know, it, it, the Lupo with the Eliminator on it, uh, it's, got a, it's got a really nice zoom on it. You know, it zooms out to 20 times um, um, and it's – I didn't even have it on 20 times when I was shooting that distance. Mm. The, the side picture is super clear compared to some of the older versions. And um, it was just, it was really steady and comfortable. So I, I had no problems lining up on the shot. And, and looking at the footage, it was, it was bang on where it was supposed to be anyway. Mm. So um, that was, that was less of an issue. 
much past that, that's probably not my kind of shooting either. But no. the opportunity presented itself cross gully on a grassy patch, mm. and um, I was unlucky. But yeah. I, I did want to to make sure that we spoke about that yeah. thirty oh six as a caliber um, because you know we're we're moving into um, another phase of the hunting season. Um, you know, it's potentially Samba coming up at the end of you know around September. We got another territory trip planned uh, for next year. And we're starting to look at various different rifle combinations that are going to suit um, and get them set up, ready to go. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that was a, a question I had. And, I mean, the, if you if you think about, if I was shooting long range, like practical rifle, and I was shooting long range today, I wouldn't use a thirty oh six. Correct. I'd buy something that was, you know. Designed for that particular a flat like a flat shooting the, seven mil rim mag three hundred wind mag or that, that, that six point five mil, um, more the six mil uh, what do they call it DLCs whatever they are but yeah that's yeah. it I'll use a night force you know mm. Hubble telescope yeah I mean be on a and on that be all those yeah. things but I'd be shooting you know a thousand yard gong type yeah. thing or, or beyond that mm. like they can do and the comment that and the comment that I made Ian about you know the thirty oh six not the best color it, it is a very versatile it's a very good caliber. And when you've got the technology of the the eliminator, it, it's going to take a lot of the, the guesswork out of it. If you had a standard yeah. scope trying to shoot 540 yards, with mm. it would be a tough shot. The eliminator, yeah. there's a lot of adjustment. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. And you've yeah. got to there, you there, there was a fair holdover. That red dot was a fair holdover. Yeah. I have to say. That's right. And you're yeah. using you were using you know very high quality factory ammo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're shooting it out of a, a, a basically a brand new 3006. You know, and those those Anali Lupos look pretty spectacular. You know, everything was in your favour. So all the, you know, inherent deficiencies of the 3006, you know, the shoulder's not steep enough so they can't get the pressure on, blah, 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 blah. It's kind of, you know, there's that, but then there's all these positives that were in your favour. So I, I, I don't think that was an unreasonable shot at all. But, I mean, and, um, yeah, I don't think that was – and, you know, you, know, you weren't shooting a – a buffalo, you know, you weren't, it, you were shooting a pig, so you were going, you were going to have enough energy to smack mm. it. And, I'm, and I mean, oh, he, sure. Craig came back from, you know, Craig Golden came back from Africa. You know, he was talking about some of the stuff he was shooting with the thirty eight six. You know, you were further, but he was shooting much bigger animals with it, and it was putting them oh, on. It's the more deck. than capable, absolutely. So capable. yeah, so oh, the, 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 and the thirty eight six is what I shot the buff with mm, the NT. Yeah. That's right. Same. I mean, a lot of people, same. a lot of people don't act, you know, don't want to shoot a buffalo thirty oh six. You know, you you were dropping, <laughs> dropping like flies. So it was, it, it had the, the more importantly, it had the energy to kill that to, to yeah. kill that pig stone cold dead. Yeah. Um, I mean, but you know, there's always questions about that. I mean, like that first time we came across those those that herd. Of yeah. buffalo, yeah. and that herd bull was looking at us, and I was lining up on it, and then it moved that big that tree trunk leg in front of it, and I went, you know what? I don't know if I could smash that. I don't think. I, but I actually went. Well, I'm not oh, sure. I've got enough horsepower to smash that thing and drop it in its place at, you know, half an hour before dark. And you were carrying it. You had yeah. a nine point three. A nine point three, and I went. Oh, yeah. That's that's a huge piece of meat for me to drive uh, to break oh. and drop. And so I kind of went, nah, you know, discretion's a better part of valor. Now, I probably technically could have done it, but I just didn't feel 
that was the as soon as it put that massive leg in front of its boiler room so it stood like mm. that i went oh, i don't know if i can i don't know if i've got that shot now mm. it was an impressive yeah, that was an opposing animal that think. was an impressive animal that thing oh. yeah that's what i mean yeah, yeah. Like, mm, i'm not sure if i got the horsepower for it and now. you know what um the first animal we'd seen on the trip like it wasn't as if we'd bumped into a few oh, others. wasn't as no. if we'd been with the rest of the crew when right. someone had come across our path. It was the first, first up. Just like, mm. <clears throat> they're, they're bigger buff. than I thought they might be. Yeah, yeah that's right. I went and looked at it and went, oh, no, no, you know, because, you I mean, it, it, when it was chest on, I thought, I'm going to drive this this 250-grain barn straight through that chest. You know, it's going to suck it up and it's going to go halfway through and he's going to just bleed out. But as soon as it turned that that big shoulder, I went, oh, I don't know if I've got, you know, that it, everything just shortened. Yeah. I had a much smaller window and I had this massive bit of bone here to, to try and figure out how to get past. A big shoulder, that's for sure. It's a great, it's a good segue. It's a good segue mm. into the second question mm. from Haroon. Okay. Um, hey, Ian, I have a small technical question about ammunition that I'm using. Why he contacts me, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he knows you know us. Um, I'm current, so, so I'm currently using 180 grain Remington core locks with my 3006. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that a number of fellow that I've shot have uh, that I've shot have not dropped on the spot even after proper place even after proper placement through the lungs and the heart. I always thought bigger is better, and hence was using that round. But recently, mm-hmm. someone told me that heavier bullets on smaller, medium-sized deer wouldn't necessarily give the best results as they are designed to penetrate denser bodies and expand accordingly. For fellow and reds, I should be using maybe a 155 to 165 grain bullet, which would provide optimal level of expansion and drop the deer on the spot with a well-placed shot. Is this right? Sorry for the long essay. Mm. Um, so I th- here, there's a few ways to answer that. Well, that's, and, it, um, it, here, here comes the argument. <laughs> yeah, well, my, my first one is, um, I mean, I'd be – we're talking about the 180 grain that I was using on the buffalo. I've been using that on the fallow, mm. and um, it expands and it does a hell of a lot of damage out the mm. other side. So I don't necessarily agree with that, and somebody else might. That's cool. We'll get you guys to comment. My, my um, initial response is um, shooting an animal in the in the heart and the lungs doesn't necessarily drop it on the spot no. because yeah, the adrenaline will push it mm. until it can't breathe or pump blood anymore. If yeah. you want to drop it on the spot, you need head, neck, and spine shots. Or, um, or the African shot, which is blow its shoulders out so it can't move. Yeah. So it can't move. It doesn't it necessarily need to die straight away, it. but it, it simply, you right. take its front legs yeah. out. So, yeah. And that, so, you know, the, so what we're kind of dealing here with is two schools of thought, which you might say the North American school of thought is heart lung. You know, yeah. you shoot it, it bleeds, you track it, it's dead in the forest. The African school of thought is if, I don't kill this thing, it might come eat me or stomp me <laughs> or, or, no, or in otherwise wreck my day. Yes, that's right. yeah. So I have to immobilize it. It'll die, but the first thing I have to do is immobilize it. So you smash shoulders. And so, you know, it's literally a four legged animal, then it becomes a two legged animal. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily kill them straight away. It often does, but what it does is they don't move. Mm-hmm. Even shooting something in the brain bucket doesn't necessarily stop it from moving on the spot. No, I've, I, I read this recently. It makes it brain dead, but its body still functions. Mm-hmm. Still, still, still yeah. nerves yeah. are still ticking. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Remember cutting chickens chickens' heads off uh, well, <laughs> once well, upon a time when we were prepping them for the freezer and they could still go. Yeah. So I found with 150-grain soft points on a pig's head would disintegrate on the bone mm, shatter. and go through the brain and the pig would do this kind of sideways run on the spot squirting blood out everywhere. It certainly wouldn't go anywhere, but it would be going, and it slightly peak out. I found when I went to 150 grain bonded and I did the same shot, it would just go, well. Mm, so it depends on okay, the bullet. Because yeah. the, the projectile held together, and so it did, you know, the kind of critical damage that you needed to, to you know, shut the brain off and shut the, the whole system off. In terms of the other part of his question about weight, I think 180 grains, a bit too much horsepower for a fellow. Yeah, I agree. Um, so what's the negative effect of that? Uh, well, you, as you discovered, ballast, your ballistic coefficient changes. Mm. So at 100 yards, there's, you know, there's hardly any difference. At 200 yards, there's a significant mm. difference. At 300 yards, there's a... You know, there's a difference between a hit and a miss Still between gravity. 150 yeah, grain and 180 grain. Significantly. That's right. Mm. So yeah. we're talking state forest hunts, though. So let's let's keep this to the yeah. 100 meter range. So I wouldn't I wouldn't ex, expect that if Haroon went from 180 to 150 and did the same shot, that necessarily you would get like stiff leg drop dead. Mm. All the time, you may do, but that's the animal. But if you heart lung, I would expect what you would get would you would get the heart lung um, type of response, which is sometimes that that huge. I, I notice for in reds, for instance, if when you heart lung a red, it does this thing where it kind of crunches up, mm. yep, and then it goes springs, springs forward. Off, so you'll see it kind of it'll absorb it and then it does a spring forward. And then that spring, when it moves, that generally tells me how quickly it's going to die. Because mm. most animals will try and run uphill. And as soon as you see it turn uphill or head towards a hill and then it turns it back around, you can't do it. You know, that's dead. Mm. It's, it, it, mm. it's, it's dying on its feet as you're watching it. Mm. So, um, so if Haroon wants to drop them right there on the spot, blow out the shoulders. Yeah, it's not um, not necessarily the best answer for the meat hunter. No, no. I think, I think right. 180 grain is probably going to cause a lot more meat damage because there's a, there's a lot right. more energy, a lot more power behind it. That that energy yeah. is going to be displaced within the animal. You're going to have a bigger exit wound and you're going to have a lot more energy that's being displaced within the animal. That's right. Yeah, and you're going to have ma- more, oh, there's sure. more bruising and all that kind of stuff. So. But it also, de- it also sure depends if you more with, with the current 30.06 setup that I've got with the 180 grains um, heart lung. I always heart lung them um, mm. and, well, whenever I can anyway. Uh, and I haven't noticed that it's, that, I mean, it, it's had some pretty nasty exit wounds off the side of the off the side of the ribs, mm. but it hasn't gone into the shoulder meat or the back. But, but have you hit, have you hit, well, it won't. Have you hit major bone? I find that makes a big difference if you hit bone. I don't shoot major bone. I only usually go through the ribs. Mm. It's pretty yeah. rare. Yeah. yeah, so I haven't actually adapted my shot to spine shot. You're losing. Shot, shot. I, I think what one of the problems that people find it's a bit of a bit of a moving off that is that 
it's not necessarily just the weight of the projectile, it's the quality of the projectile mm. too. Mm. So what you'll yeah. find is if you're using a projectile that hits and breaks up, you'll get a lot more meat damage than you will from a stout bullet. So, you know, a stout bullet will wreck the front and wreck the, the, the other end of it on the way out and wreck everything between those two points. But if you use a, a, a not-so-good projectile and it goes in and it breaks up, the animal will die, but, you know, you'll get fragmentation yeah, through absolutely. the place. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, and, and, and you can bet your bottom dollar the fragmentation is going to hit um, organs mm. and the blood, you know, and, you're gonna, when you're, and that's when you open it up and it's just full of blood and shit mm. because you've burst everything inside, you know. So mm. a, a, a stout... 150 would probably serve a room just as well, if not better, than a than a than a um, than a core lock 180. And a lot of the people, a lot of the people that contact us are talking about, oh, do I need to buy another rifle? And what do you think of this scope? And is this ammo any good? And I'm I'm of a mind, more often than not, to to try and use what you've got. Uh, and you know, you don't need another rifle to go from reds to fallow or fallow to reds mm. or even reds to samba. No. It's, it's nice if you've got it's the nice means to, to do that, it's but nice you to. can adapt what you have, right? And I wouldn't um, tell you not to. <laughs> no, but. I don't know. No, my friends at Beretta, they'd love it if you kept no, buying more tickets. I, I, I would never tell a man not to buy enough <laughs> rifle. You never have enough of manly or uh, Actually, I, I'm gender neutral in that. I wouldn't tell anyone not to buy another rifle. Mm, fair enough. Well, anyway, to that point, um, if you're sighted in with the 180s to do something similar to what I'm doing, there is no need for him to be having to go back no. and forth to the range to change from 180 to 150s based no, on no, what he's no. going to shoot today or tomorrow. No. He's going to do the job. Find a round that works. Get a good quality it. projectile, consistent, learn to shoot it. Mm-hmm. What that it. man said, find a round that works for you and stick yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's it. Stick with but, it. And, and, um, uh, if in the world of factory ammo, that is, I can't stress that. I think that is mm-hmm. gospel. Yeah. Find a factory round that suits your rifle. So if you're shooting factory, find a factory round that suits your rifle. Generally, you know, I found like federal suited tinkers, but you know, some people tell me they don't. But find a factory round that suits your rifle. Psycho round. Find a projectile that suits your application, <sighs> and just keep shooting. Well, I mean, I've had a my ticket through eight for eight eight years now, and I thought it was shooting pretty well with what did I have in there. Winchester that was loaded with bonds, and then I tried the psycho mm. munition. I have never had a more accurate round ever, mm. and yeah. and yeah. now I'm seek, seeking out that that ammo everywhere. I've shot reds with it. Yeah. I've shot pigs with it. Shot goats with it. Quiet. Yeah, well, where is it? Well, exactly. But well, that's it. I, yeah. I, I I I've been shooting psycho now for nine months. Mm. I actually, no uh, territory. Well, what's that? September. So territory. Um, territory. Yeah. Um, yeah, cannot fold it. Um, but for instance, I've hated my ticket, hated Winchester. Absolutely hated it. Yeah, I went you know? through um, just, quite a few just, different. I'd go to range and I'd just get frustrated. Going, yeah. I can't seem yeah. to get this stuff to group. Um, so, yeah, uh, find a round that works for you and um, stick with mm-hmm. it and find the projectile that suits your application. Uh, and, you know, and. There's nothing wrong with actually spending a little bit of time when that animal on the ground and actually looking at that projectile, mm-hmm. you know, understanding what it did. Did it how did it did it do what you expected it to do? Did it open up? Did it fragment? Whatever it is, you know, 
actually understanding that because that's a big part of the you know that selection process you want to run. And I always think that a, a, a more premium level projectile is the better way to go. Yeah, and um, you know I was talking to Haroon about um, Sarko, Norma, Barnes, Hornaday um, rounds. So they're a, they're, they're a far more expensive round than the good old uh, Corlots. Mm. Um, uh, but it is still the cheapest party trip. You know, if you go and shoot two deer, you probably spend two bucks. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah you're oh, going to have to buy in the box yeah. up front. But, it, you know, yeah. fuel, food, all of that, like the round is nothing. You may as well yeah. settle on something good mm. and then go and buy <clears> enough <throat> rounds to, to, to keep that consistent for a couple of years mm. if they're difficult to get. Once you find them, just buy some. Yeah, but if you, um, if you find a round that works, you buy two, three boxes, that's you for the next five, five yeah. years. So, yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Mm. Excellent. I'm sure he'll be happy to hear the wisdom from you fellas. Okay. And uh, it's gone. I don't know what that is. It's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Any other questions, Ian? They were my two uh, ammo-related questions. Okay. Sure, sure. Okay. Moving on. Anything else we want to introduce you guys? Um, But we were going to talk. A little bit about the various different rifle combos that we've sure. been playing with. Mm-hmm. John, do you want to start with? Um, yeah, so for me, what you're, what, yeah. what, what you're setting up? Well, my my go to and has been for a number of years is the Tika. Love the Tika. It is a beautiful rifle. I'm running that with the, the Burris Scope. Uh, but this year, I've um, upgraded to the Benelli Lupo in 306, a caliber that I said I would I would never own, but I have come to um, to love. It is a gorgeous rifle. It is absolutely stunning. Um, and on top of that, I'm running the the Burris um, Signature HD scope. I think it's a three to fifteen, which is super clear, super super. It's a it's a cracking scope. Um, really, really great combination. But that that Benelli rifle for me is. It's a timber stock. I never thought I would own another timber stock. I just think, you know, with the humidity and that we have here in Queensland, I think, you know, synthetic is the way to go. But once you pick up that rifle, the the timber quality, the finish of the rifle, and they've got that, what is it, the best? Is it the best coating on it? Mm. Which has got that, I think, 20-year rust guarantee on it um, is just something else. So for me, that's mine you go to. I took it with on our trip to New South Wales, um, carried it, shot a goat with it. Um, what a rifle, beautiful rifle. Um, that's when you go to the teak is at the back of the safe that, that Benelli is sitting at the front. Sad, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Mine's, mine's the same. Yeah. It's, it's, it's on the top of the rifle stack in my, yeah. in my room, but yeah. uh, it's, Sadly, seeing no love other than mm. the old oil yeah. cloth from time to time. Yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had, I've owned and shot seekers for probably twenty years, coming up to twenty years now, and that was always my go-to. And that's at the back of the safe. That Benelli is just something else. It is just super smooth, and I love how adaptable it is. You can change the length of pull, the comb, you know, the comb shape, the, the drop, everything. You can just adjust it to you. So it's just so customizable. Whereas you might go off and like Mark did and build build a custom rifle. You can basically get a custom rifle out the factory and just adjust it to your own needs. Mm. So you're saving yourself a fortune. Yeah, they're not the cheapest of rifles, but you can customize it um, probably at a fraction of the cost that a, a custom rifle will actually cost you. So um, yeah, for me, that's money go to. And uh, I'm looking forward next year. I think the raw. I'm hoping to get a red with it. That'll be that'll be exciting. 
Um, it's a bit heavier than the, the Tika, but it's worth it when you carry it around and you just look at it, catch a glimpse of it, mm. see it. It's beautiful. Mm. Very nice. Well, I'm doing the same. Uh, I've, got this, I've got the synthetic version of the Lupo in 3006 as well, and, yeah, I have to agree, it, just the way that it's built. And I, I didn't go through any of the customising. I, um, I pulled it out of the box. I put the Eliminator on it. I tightened it up. I went to the range. I zeroed it, and that was it. I moved on, and that's pretty much mm. how I deal with rifles. Uh, I adapt to it rather than adapting it to me. Um, now, that's not necessarily the right way to go about it. That's just the way that I go about it. Um, but I realized um, that I, I've i never had a rifle that I've set up for long range before uh, or longer range before. I always set my rifles up as bush guns because just about everything I do is spot and stalk or it's close range because it's safe for us hunting, and that's what I really enjoy doing. Um, so I did that. I set it up off a bench. Um, I set the the, the eye relief up so that, um, you know, when I was standing and, and you know, um, getting ready for an offhand shoot, it was right. But as soon as I lay down prone, it was all wrong. Mm-hmm. The whole thing was not right. It was uncomfortable behind it. And I realized at that point that um, I just hadn't spent the time getting that right for, for lying prone. Mm-hmm. And um, I had this thing in front of me that was fully adjustable all I did, all I have to do is spend the time to get that right, and mm. it'll be perfect. So, um, looking forward now to resetting that up for next time I use it, and being lucky to have, as we were talking about before, I, um, we've got a few different rounds coming to have a look at, and um, I want to set the 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 Lupo and the Eliminator up as a longer range rifle for that type of not for mm. not necessarily for long range shooting, but for that private land um, hunting where you've got open paddocks and you've got longer options. I want to set it up for that. Um, and then the BRX and the, the Steiner Predator 8, which is on the other setup, um, I want to set that one up as, as the bush gun. Mm-hmm. Not that the, I mean, the Steiner, the Predator 8, is a, it's a big scope, but it's a two-power. Like, it's 2 to 16, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it down it, it's, it, it's a really good uh, rifle to be able to, to crank that down, but still be able to get the zoom out if you need to, cross gully or something like mm-hmm. that. So that's what I'm using. Um my poor old Tika is in the back of the safe, just like yours, <laughs> sitting up there somewhere. And, and there's such it might get hand me down to my son when he's holding up. They're such good rifles, but there's it. some really good options out there at the moment. So yeah, um, really, really good. Yeah, we're privileged to be able to try a few. So mm. um, you know, we'll do that while we, while we're while we're while we're doing this, and um, yeah, we'll just hope, hopefully people can get out there and, and have a look at them with us and. Mm. Um, you know, if we can set up a range day as well and, and get people to come and try them, mm. that, that, that'd be really good. So, yeah. you know, watch the space. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you're talking about custom, you know, we were talking about customized rifle, getting it ready for yourself. It's, it's funny, I don't take many prone shots anymore. I used to do a lot of prone, I don't. Most of my shots are off hand, off a tree, or I, off shoot, so, shooting sticks that I use. So when I'm getting a rifle fitted for me, those are the positions that I'll actually try. Um, I have, you know, I'll go, I'll sit in the shed and I'll, you know, it's, it's an MZ rifle. There's no bolt in it. It's safe, but I'll try all those positions, make sure I can see that I've got a good side picture that I'm comfortable that the rifle's lining up properly. But it's interesting. I've not tried prone, but because I don't shoot prone. Right. So you're, so you're, you're more offhand or against the tree. Yeah. Or shooting, no, or shooting see, sticks. See why we won the slam, eh? Because <laughs> we were, prone and well positioned and shooting what we saw or not missing what we, well, saw. we saw we saw plenty mate but we just didn't shoot them <laughs> i think somebody else needs to practice those offhand shots yeah maybe so maybe so but yeah i mean i i, I 
in the same, a lot of the state forest hunting has always been leaning against a tree or over a log or something like that. But you know what? Um, since I've started carrying the camera around more, I'm putting myself into situations where I'm spending more time watching, recording, um, you know, making sure I, you know, I'm taking a lot more time with the shots. I'm mm. not doing so much spot and stalk. I'm not flushing something out and shooting it. Um, mm. I think that part of my hunting changed first up with the dog because she was putting me onto animals before they knew I was there. Whereas mm. my hunting style prior to that, it was always the animal would see me or we'd see each other at the same time. You had that two seconds if you were lucky to up and smack it. Um, whereas the dog changed it and now the cameras changed it. So, um, I, my last three or four hunts now have all been prone shots. Okay. okay. I think the last mm. three or four animals I've shot have either been off a tree or off shooting sticks. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. mainly shooting sticks. So I've, I carry the, the Primos trigger sticks and I've got the, uh, Spartan, um, adapter that goes on top of it. And I've got the rifle adapter. I carry the, the Spartan bipod on in my in my in my pack or on my my barner rig um but i've got the adapter for the the primus trigger sticks and i find i shoot most off that because it's so quick it's so adaptable and i don't have it's not on my rifle i know you carry the the, the spartan as well you use that quite a bit on this last trip didn't you Ian? i use the spartan almost all the time mm. i mean being setting up in prone positions if you're setting up in a prone position you're, you've clearly got the time yeah so uh, if i'm not shooting across my pack um the spartan the, the spartan things come out mm. the bipod comes out um and i find that super adaptable i, I struggled to start with and i think mark pointed it out when i first got it he says yeah i got one of them i don't take it anywhere um because yeah. it, it, where does it go like it's a pain like there's, there's no and the bino rig that i had didn't have anywhere for it and it was sort of here and it was in the way but now the um the the bush edge um twin needle setup i've got has got those molly straps mm. underneath it just slides it perfectly yeah. under there so now I know where it is. It has a home. Like everything else has its place. It's just straight out and on. Um, and I just love the fact that you can just buy the rifle adapter for 80 bucks, and you can stick one on every rifle you've got. Um, I even got Hendo, my buddy, on the on the slam trip to put to go and buy himself a Spartan setup to put on his rifle, even though he doesn't have the bipod, because I was able to just give him mine because mm-hmm. he was shooting. It's just a perfect way to do it. Uh, people complain they're expensive, and they are. Like it's ridiculous you pay – 500 or something dollars for a you know, a little bipod made of carbon fiber. Um, but by the time you go and buy, you know, four or five good quality bipods for rifle setups, you've saved a lot of money by just buying the adapters. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it worked for me in, in the situation where we're dealing with lots of different rifle combinations. So that's yes, good. Mm. Mark, you've got some stuff that you're setting well, up as well. Well, my ticker, so like everyone, I've got a ticker that sits in the safe. Um <laughs> I got that tinker in 2008. Uh, it took me nine months to get it, and I, it took me two PTAs to get it. The PTAs kept running out. Um, uh, so I learned a lesson there about PTAs. <laughs> <laughs> took me nine months to get it, um, uh, and that's where this customization starts. So at the moment, um, it – Almost a full custom rifle. Um, so I got a stock built by Rob Blomfield up there on Sunshine Coast uh, before I had kids. And, you know, spending $4,000 on a stock was just, yeah, why not? Uh, kind of stuff. And um, yeah. 
So it's 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 a it's a Af- Afghan walnut uh, Afghan walnut uh, stock with um, uh, New Guinea ebony end caps, and it's about forty and a half inch pull. So it's made to me. Um, the barrels full all barrel actions all Cerakote, a midnight black color, uh, which is close to get the blued uh, metal. Uh, retainer plate in it uh, runs a Predator 4 um, Steiner scope. So it's just an absolutely beautiful rifle. Shoots. You, you take it out. Uh, if I go down and take it out of the safe, it'll shoot you know, the eyes out of 200 like that. Um, trouble, it just doesn't get used that much. Um, I'm not getting rid of it, though. <laughs> it sits there. I actually got to convince myself to you know, I gotta say, I'm going to take this out. I've got to actually do that. Um, so, Jen, what's become my go-to is the custom rifle I built with Beretta back in a couple of years ago, the 308 Indy. Um, that's, again, that was a full custom build based on a Tika CDR action and barrel. So it's a short barrel, you know, the 20-inch short barrel box magazine, um, fantastic tack driver. It runs a Steiner Ranger 6 scope on it. And most recently, um, the BRX Minecraft, which uh, we did with Byron, um, and that uh, under the uh, the um, direction of Scott from Beretta had to run a aim point. <laughs> had to be an aim point. So that's got an aim point, and again, that's 308, and that's going on its first scrub trip. Next Friday, so I'm going up to the block next Friday. I'm going to go pick up my cameras that have been up there since before my wife went to the UK, see what's running around, and I'm going to carry that rifle with me in case I happen to run into something at the time. So I've had a couple of runs with that range, pretty comfortable out to 100 yards with that. It shoots as you would expect of the BRX to shoot. It's, um, it's fast, it's accurate, puts it where you want. So that's going to be my um, – I'm actually – we've got a Glenn this trip coming up. I'm pretty sure I'm going to try and take that and see if I can – I know that at times I'll be cursing the fact that I don't have a scope, but I'm going to see if I can use that rifle on the Glenn this trip, you know, as a as – a, as, as a, uh, as a whatever whatever presents itself for us. But, yeah, it's uh, – so completely different setup, completely different setup. So, you know – we used to call them scrub guns once upon a time, and that's what it is. It's just the the latest iteration of a, of a scrub gun, mm. you know. But it just happens to be this wonderful, super fast, straight pulling three hundred eight with a you know red dot side on it and a fantastic stock and color scheme. Those, those but, yeah. BRX ones are beautiful rifles as well. Yeah, <laughs> that I, I was so impressed with it. Yeah, they're a different. They're very different rifles. Yeah, I was so impressed with it and the aim point setup. Yeah, well, I, was I, said, I, wish, I wish it. I <laughs> wish it was. I wish it was as easy to set up a, a scope as it is to set oh, up. Oh, they're aim so point. easy to set up. Yeah. I just you just don't you just don't realize mm. you just kind of go oh look there is oh okay mm. dead sure okay and there's a trick there's a trick to it that we found um, when we set up my one for the territory trip um, like the. You can get a bit carried away because it's got a. Uh, you can turn up and down the illumination of the red dot, yeah. uh, and we found and we found that by turning that 
red dot right down so it was faint. We were able to get, you know, MOA accuracy at 200 metres, yep. mm-hmm. which was just like I, there's no way I thought we could do that. Mm. And once it was set up, it was just it was just an awesome package. Yeah. I'm going to go a little bit crazy, I think, on the on, – I think it's crazy. When we went to the Aimpoint day and they showed you all the Aimpoint accessories, they showed you the mount that goes off the side of your normal scope. Yeah. So my my Beretta, my my uh, BRX with the the Predator Eight is going to have an aim point mounted off the side of it for the territory. <laughs> Forty five degrees. Yeah, right. Combination of. Uh, I've seen you can just put them on the top, so you can just up and look through. The oh, I've seen they kind of just yeah. crank it yeah. on the side. Just crank it that way. Like, yeah. <laughs> I have to wear my hoodie so I can look gang. Crank it that way a little bit, but um, yeah, that is kind of. No, I've seen it straight off the top. It looks straight across the hmm. part. The, the, just the yeah, slope. that would be just um, that would be. Um, you'd have there'd be a fair drop in that, but anyway, hmm. yeah. Yeah, you know, but all you the, do once you've got your that's right. Once you've yeah. got your scope zeroed. You know, you just lock it into a vice, point it at your target, and then line your red dot on the same mm. spot, and you're done. Yeah. There's nothing That's else right. to it. No, well, so, um, following mm. um, the Aimpoint guy's advice, went to the range, put a big 50 target out, put it on a bench, shot it like you would a scope rifle eyes, closed one eye, oh, we're there, okay, out to 100, same thing, bang, bang. We're there. It's on. It's 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 shooting at hundred, right where it is. Then ceasefire went out, checked targets, went then to the stand up area, put out a fifty and a hundred, and then started doing that idea of you know, uh, well, uh, you know you, look at it, look at the the target below it, open up both eyes and just rise, yeah. mm. and just get that timing right when you're just crossing over, bang bang, and you know at fifty, I was just immediately hitting, you know, V balls and a hundred, it was I was a bit low. So which means I'm I'm letting it go a bit early. Because it's coming up. But you uh, know, it was a, it was a little bit it was basically an MOA group, but I was just letting them go a little bit early on the on a goat target. Hmm. So I was hitting in the eights rather than the tens because it, and that's just that, you know, when just that and and that's um it was Eric, I think. It was Eric, yeah. Was yeah, he was saying that that's just you just gotta find the point to let it go. You just mm. you're just kind of anticipating a little bit. You still and that and that's all that is. So that's what I hope to do. I mean, if you think about a red where you you know, the body's that well, big. Well, and that's so. the thing with those eight points, they're not designed for super accurate shots. They use them for driven shots. So the guys say yeah. you know, you're hitting them like that, it's absolutely fine. Um but, but I mean the other thing though the counter to that is once you get an understanding of it, you are still shooting a 308. Mm. So, you know, once you understand how it works, shooting further than that and in the right situation is not out of the realm of, of the rifle in any way. So, so yeah, you know, because I've, I've read a number of people are saying, you know, like once you get to it, you can't, you can actually stretch out past that. You just become, you understand how that aiming system works. Mm. With that, because the rifle itself is well capable of shooting that distance, so it's just you becoming used to how to aim that rifle. Mm. Yeah. So that's mm. that's the, the 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 combination with me and and kind of off to the side is that um, Frankie shotgun that I've carried in the field already a couple of times, but I haven't yet to <laughs> let it go. 
Yeah, I've got the Ultra Ligero mm. here. That's, mm. uh, I haven't I haven't put a shot through it yet, but I figured, uh, John, you do a bit of clay target shooting. Yeah, every so often I do. Yeah, yeah. I'll go out and do it. Mm. We should organise it. We should. Challenge. We should. That'll be good. Well, I'm pretty good shooting them on the ground. <laughs> Just yeah, drop the box. Well, that's right. Yeah, in the box. Yeah. You can get 20, 25 eggs in the box. <laughs> yeah, that's... I win. I win. That's right. You put them on the ground, I can shoot a big stack. We should, really yeah, easy. we should do a, a sporting clay session or something like that. That'll be good fun. Yeah, I've, no problem with that. Mm. I can't hear yeah, anything. They do, a, they do a come and try day here on a Wednesday up in Toowoomba, so you can bring your rifle down or your, your shotgun down or borrow one of theirs and pay your 20 bucks and do your 20, 20 clays. Um, I think that sounds really like easy a fantastic to get your own idea. Mm. I think that's a fantastic idea. It's hard a few fellas to go up to come up. Oh. No, no, I reckon I, we could, I could find a Wednesday to do that. All right then, game on. <laughs> well, there, shotguns. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I'm yeah. terrible. Shot, I'm, I'm really good at shooting pigs with shotguns, but, but oh, I mean, I, I, I look and I've shot in front of, of you know English experts in tweed and mist. I don't care. I just <laughs> I just love shotguns. I'm not, I'm not particularly great at wing shooting. Shotguns are fun. Shot, I, 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 love, are fun. I love wing shooting. Oh, absolutely love it. Even better than clothes. I love wing shooting. Yeah. I'm not real good at it, but I love wing shooting. And I'm I've been but, doing a bit of wing shooting, actually, but with my 410. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was, yeah. I was lucky enough to inherit um, 13 chickens. Oh, have you? Oh, okay. Eight of them are roosters. We're roosters. <laughs> We're roosters. Now they're just We're chicken roosters. legs. Yep. I've been doing wing shooting. Yeah. Maybe not on the ground, but, you know, they've got wings. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, um, Jonathan McGee over there in the UK, he's a, a bit of a 410 specialist mm. on, on on wing shooting. So, you know, there's a – and I I bought that 28 gauge, which is even smaller. <laughs> it's like basically little batteries. Have you, yeah. have you shot, have you shot that yet? No, I haven't. I just – I just – I'd go down – often just go down and admire it and look at it and kind of put it away <laughs> again. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I I love wing shooting. I'm just not particularly good at it. Mm. But if if I got to shoot, it. I'd shoot pigs all day with shotguns. I love that. Getting in within twenty yards of them and let them have it with, with buckshot. Well, certainly that uh, that property we were on recently, Ian, you could have shot pigs with the shotgun on that. Yeah. That one. yeah. Imagine well, if you I, had the bloody BRX and the red dot there. Mm. Yeah. I had the opportunity just, yeah. at Nundle to take a shotgun for a walk, and I felt, you know, it felt like I was in my nap, my element doing that. Might look and went walking took through a little, the pines. Oh, I've, yeah. No, this was down into in some in some uh, eucalypt and opening down into some pretty boggy eucalypt, and uh, uh, it was Tim's um, uh, ombre, which right. is a little 20, 20 inch barrel under over. I just had this mental picture of you and your son walking through the pines with a shotgun. Have you read Danny the Champion of the World by Raul Dahl? That is one of my favourite books. Absolutely. Is this Mark and his boy or what? (laughs) That is one of my favourite books. Absolute favourite books. Have you read it, Mark? There you go. No. You should read it. Oh, you'd love it. Absolutely love it. It's about a dad who's a poacher. Poaching poaching pheasants. Poaches pheasants up on the the, uh, the fancy... Titled uh, Gentleman's oh. Land. Yeah, it's, good. it's a very Sorry. good. Yeah. Anyway. Actually, speaking of that, at Nundal, up in the ponds, I have seen pheasant running across. Quite like proper pheasant you know, or proper, proper, cuckoos. No, proper pheasant. 
in Nundal. No, English cool. pheasant. In Nundal. There's pheasant in Nundal. Yeah, well, you know, like there's... I have seen them. It's not that unusual because there's probably someone who had them on their farm. Mm-hmm. You know? I have seen pheasant. Um, I didn't even know they had them here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there's oh, yeah. actually some pheasant shooting in... Victoria. Victoria. Yeah. Uh, someone set it up on private land, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's it. And um, yeah, uh, well, I mean, I've seen um, guinea fowl on. on I've seen guineas. On I've land. seen oh, oh yeah, it's not there. in the ponds, I saw pheasant. Yeah. Well, there you go. But they'd be you can't shoot them. No, because it's probably not mentioned. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's that weird thing where it's huh? not in the where, system. Where are they on the you can't shoot ducks in Queensland scale? Where would pheasants fit on that? Would they be a, they'd be a non-native like shooting miners? They might not, not children. They might bird? again. They might not be on us. They might not be on a list because they're not seen as being mm. enough of them. Not yet. It wouldn't probably even be classified. I would have thought because there wouldn't be. Yeah, it would be yeah, enough. They might them. not even. That's right. They might not even be mentioned and might because they're not being they're not offered. Mm. I mean, the uh, I know there's you know there's um you know in Queensland there's like there's plenty of quail and that, that stuff that they're obviously all, all off because they're mentioned, but there would be certainly you know pheasants and things like that if in small populations that don't even you know they kind of sit outside the realm. I mean, I remember. Going for a drive up, you know, Kilcoy and all that country up in the Nango and all that, and seeing um, a bush buck in the morning, you know, spiral antlers going up on the. I went, yeah, thing standing on the hill over there. It's <laughs> got a photo of it. There's a there's a property up there that they. Oh, that's not a bush buck. That's a black um, buck. Black buck. Yeah, sorry, black buck. Yeah. yeah, they got, they got. Fallow and reds and exotics up yeah. on their block. Yeah, there's a big block up there that's got yeah all of that black bark. They've got hoggies. Yeah. They've got all of that. I think it, is it called King Kingaman? Mm. I think it is, or something like that. King King yeah, Kingan King, Kingams or something like that. Yeah, yeah. There's I drove past it. I went. Yeah, he's got look at that on the on the hill on the hill on a, on a, you know. Yeah, he's got reds, fallow, rusa, chittle, hoggies, black bark. You name it. It's all half fenced. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, you can be. You know, you, the, we drive. There's part where it wasn't particularly high fence, and it was just on this paddock. I went, "Oh, look at that! Would you look at that?" Mm-hmm. And I mean, that I, property we used to shoot up there, up at um, uh, behind Toowoomba. He had he had a water buffalo, didn't he? Yeah. Well, there's water buffalo just just around the back of my place. Yeah, and he had a camel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this look camel. Look out the window. Yeah, he had a camel. Just my neighbour's place. Yeah. yeah, and um, well, there's camel just around where I live here at the in, in, in Brookfield on the, on the gap in Brookfield. There's camel, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think they're feral now mm-hmm. too. They're just you'll, you'll occasionally you'll look up and you'll see a camel. Yeah, up have have you tasted camel steaks? Ah, uh, yeah, I have tasted camel steaks. They're good. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. Um, what else have I seen that's a bit odd out, out of out of? Well, I'll tell you well, what I've I know seen. that on the way to uh, Warwick. There's uh, bison. I haven't seen that. No, I haven't heard of that. I've seen bison. Mm. There's a there's a property that's got bison. I, again, it was with uh, with with Helena actually. And I went, what is that? Looks like a bison <laughs> out there. And sure enough, it was. No, there was that. Yeah. I saw our resident red stag. Oh, did you? 
Oh, okay. The other day, yeah. So I've I've been bumping into a there's a little herd of reds um, close to me, and uh, I've never seen the stag, and I didn't see it during the roar. And I've and I often I'm on my way to Brisbane early in the morning, and I'll I'll see the reds either in the paddock just off the road or on the road. Um, on the way home from uh, State of Origin, watching the State of Origin down in Brisbane. Not long ago, uh, I came around the corner and I was even thinking to myself, geez, it'd be good to run into those deer again. And I come around the corner and there they are and there's the stag. Oof. And he would have been, he would have been easily, oh, I say easily. He, and my mind's eye tells me it was a double six. Mm. Um, but he was a fairly young double six. Like he yeah. wasn't, he wasn't very, very thick. But he was—he definitely had crowns on one side. Um, I'm pretty sure on the other side as well. He could have been a five-six, but it was—it was great to see him. Mm. I've not seen him in the ten years that I've been driving that road. Um, now all I've got to do is convince an owner <laughs> get access. So I can go and play down there. But um, oh, it was just—just just great to see him. You know, I've so, seen anyway. Chittle uh, in uh, at Texas, as in the, on the border there, just before as you cross in mm-hmm. the. Going yeah. to Sabine, seeing Tech uh, Chittle there on the on just on the, the well, I suppose the northern part of it. As you come into, um, there's a as you come into Texas, there's there's a, a bit of a a dip and there's a yep. a bit of a green patch, and you often see animals in there. I saw I've seen Chittle there, seen quite a few dead on the side of the road just there. Yeah, um, so I went. Oh look, there's Chittle. Uh, what else have we seen? That's a bit. Um, I've seen. Uh, uh, Rusa um, near Warwick. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of Rusa near me. Plenty around this way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've seen red uh, at the inaugural reservoir, and I've seen uh, fallow just on Mount Cutha mm-hmm. a couple of times. Yeah, there's a few around mm-hmm. there. So yep. definitely growing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, any other gear stuff you want to cover? As is my want, recently I bought myself a oh, knife. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's show and tell for our, uh, pod, our Podbean mm. listeners. Yep. So uh, for those listening, I bought myself a, uh, uh, a Hidden Canyon Hunter, which is a small hunting knife, so a fixed blade, uh, bench made, um, comes with a, a Kydex sheath, very nice little knife. Uh, Okay, I've seen lost signal. Have you guys still yeah, hear me? Absolutely fine. Yeah. What's going on? Something's dropped out. It's dropped Just, out. I'm here. Yeah. Where are we you? We can see you fine, mate. We can hear you fine. Oh, okay. You can't, you I can't can't hear him. Bye bye. Have I got yes. you? Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. Something I don't know what happened then, folks. Mm. Dropped out. Back. So, yeah, I've got a new knife, uh, Hidden Canyon, a, a small fixed blade. Um, I really like small fixed blades with a big bellied blade, and this is exactly what it's got. Those you can mm-hmm. see it is very cool. It's not very big at all. Only about two and a half, three-inch blade. Um, that's my latest bench made that makes one, two, three, four, five bench maids I own now. Mm-hmm. And I like the um, blaze orange finish, though I do have a black pocket knife by bench made. Everything else is blaze orange. So... That's my latest little bit, and I'll be using that as soon as I can put something on the ground. Hmm. No new torches, Mark? 
You normally buy a torch every year as well. No, no, no. I've actually slowed down on the torches a little bit. I'm waiting for, oh, um, you know, I'm waiting for something to come out that catches my eye, as it were. <laughs> but um, I haven't seen anything that jumps out at me at That's, the moment. That one, I don't know. That one's jumping to my eyes. What, what is that one? Yeah. <laughs> this is the uh, Army Tech Crystal. Oh, that's right. This is oh, great. That's, that's a little this one you had on your pack, yeah. isn't it? This is the little one I had on my pack. So it's got a, it's got a little um, clip on the back, so I can run through a strap, or I can just clip on. Mm. And I had it just, uh, just sitting here. Yeah on my bino yeah. rig and it just lit up the whole ground in front of me because my main torch had gone flat. Well, actually, sadly, my new torch that I had for that trip, its batteries were RS straight out of the box. So oh my God. Um, I turned it on and went, yay, look at me, I'm dead. <laughs> um, so I was down to this uh, to, to walk out of the in the dark in an area that I didn't know very well. So um, it's a brilliant little thing. Yeah, great, cheap, do the job, waterproof. And they um fully transparent all round, so um it emits a lot of light mm. all the way. Yeah, I, I quite like that idea of the of the pack. Yeah, that's good. You know, just yeah. Mm. Yeah, I had an intent of having a head torch and a and a, mm. another head torch and then two of those and just you know <laughs> coming out like a like a spaceship with the deer yeah, over my I, shoulder. I, I was thinking, you know, more the with being on the the pack, you know, if you were doing a bit of work and the light was running out, you could kind of position your pack so you would just have you have the head your headlamp, but you had yeah. ambient light, which you could kind of, you know, you wouldn't have to figure out how to hold it up at mount on the pack. So it would give you a fair bit of ambient light for, for work. And I thought Lot, that was, you know, yeah. that might work out quite well. I was in New Zealand one year and we were talking about lights and um, I was talking to uh, the guide that was with us who does a lot of walking out in the dark. You know, he, had, he, he always has advice for his, his customers that go over there. Um, and, and one of them, you know, he's like, if you're not up in the dark, you know, walking and home in the dark at the end of the day, then you're missing all of the good parts of, of hunting mm. and you're really not you're not prepared to be doing what you want. And he says, I don't understand why people are scared of the dark. It's the same as the day. It's just dark. Get used to it. It's okay. <laughs> I just can't see. Um, oh, you just can't but, see. But, you know, when you're – that you just don't know what went bang over there, and you mm. know people get you know strangely concerned about things that don't exist because you know basically we don't live in a country that things are going to come and eat you often unless you're on Fraser Island at the moment. <laughs> but um, what he did say you, was what what uh, what what people don't understand is how your eyes work, and uh, most people walk with a head torch, mm. and that does not help your peripheral at all. No, no he said you need two torches. You either need one mounted in the center of your chest and then a head torch for where you go, or you need one on your head and you need a hand yeah. torch. Mm. And that gives you the peripheral, the balance. You don't come unstable, all of those sorts of things. If you do that when you're walking in the dark, you have a much, much better experience. Yeah. yeah. When this came up, I thought, oh, that's just perfect. Just that, that's, on. I, 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 I completely agree with that. You know, the trouble with the head, well, it's the trouble with anything that, that draws your eye. You, 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 um, you know, you, you, you don't see everything else because you just see what's in front of you. You know, you know that that's one of the problems that people encounter when they first hunt. You know, they see the animal and they focus on like tunnel vision behind, yeah. and they don't see the stag over there mm. type thing. You know, or yeah, you become focused on the thing, and, and and head torches do that. And I notice that especially with you know with fishing, you'll notice that people with when they're wearing head torches when they're fishing, you'll notice they're actually looking at the water. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, it, yeah. It, they're, they're, they're looking where the torch is illuminating rather than using the torch to illuminate where they want to look. Yeah, well, interesting. He was less worried about um, you looking at that um, looking at that deer and not seeing anything else. He was uh, was the other way around. He was more worried. He was worried about you looking at that object and not seeing the edge of the cliff yeah. because of the terrain. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's why he was giving us chat about yeah. you know uh, peripheral vision at night time and those sorts of things. Mm. I thought that was pretty smart. Stuff. That is good. Mm. Very mm. true. That'll do, eh? I think so. That, that was a that was a quite a definitive pause. <laughs> so, I suppose we might call this one "Welcome to Our Ramble." Rambling on. <clears throat> so, it's been an enjoyable ramble, on gentlemen. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm I, I think I've run out of things to say. Mm. So, let's bring it That's to good. a close. We'll call it quits. Yep. Um, covered the ammo stuff that I really wanted to touch on, and, and people have been asking a lot about the rifle, so I'm glad we touched mm. on that. Sure. And we will catch you again with a guest shortly. Yes. Yeah. Got quite surely. a few. Got quite a few coming, so it's going to be interesting. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, gents. Have a good night. Catch you later. See you later, guys. <laughs>